You're back. It's the Brand Builders Lab podcast, and this is episode 56. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast, where learning how to create an epic brand, find the right marketing strategies, and building your business is a constant evolution, classroom, and lab. Each week, we'll be diving into all things brand and marketing with special guests and solo episodes to help you build your business, brand, and big idea. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. It is so awesome to have you here. (laughs) I find that I'm singing a lot more, whether it's on my Instagram live and I didn't, it's not because it's good. It's just because that's what I'm feeling. And so that's what I do, which can be unfortunate for you sometimes, but you know, that's okay because we're in this together. Now, if this is your first time here at the Brand Builders Lab podcast, then welcome. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, and this podcast is brought to you by The Connection Exchange, where we help you get confident to build a bold brand so that you and your business aren't swimming in the sea of sameness. And we're pretty much here every week. Make sure that you subscribe on your in your iTunes or on whatever app you like to use to listen to podcasts. I would love you to take me for a walk with you, or maybe we could go for a drive together or just, you know, whatever you're doing, I'm happy to kind of come along and share whoever I've got on the podcast or whatever it is that I'm talking about, because I do love to hang out with you every week. And so this week is no different. But before we dive in, I just want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by my freebie, which is five ways to get more confident on video, because obviously video is where it's at. So whether you are using Instagram stories, you're shooting videos for your website, you're wanting to do Facebook lives, whatever it is, if you do not feel confident on video, then this is a really quick and easy training on five tips as to how you can get confident on video. And if you want to get a piece of that, all you have to do is go to theconnectionexchange.com forward slash video confidence, and you can get access to that free video today, which I would love you to obviously have. Now, this week I'm excited to introduce Louise Griffith to you. She's the owner of Left Brain Online Marketing and specializes in online marketing strategy, management and paid traffic for service, coaching and education-based businesses. Her passion is working with small business owners to create consistency and scale in their business while creating powerful connections with their audience. She is also a mentor to marketing freelancers looking to build their own business, supporting them to hone their skills and produce outstanding experiences for their clients. And this week we are talking all about the customer journey ecosystem. This is something that Louise has created and it is definitely in line with a lot of the things that we talk about around brand marketing, automation, scale, those sorts of things, where if you are thinking, I don't know how to create a funnel in my business, I don't know how to create a customer journey that helps me to scale and engage the people that I really wanna engage, plus helps me to make more sales in my business, Well, that's what we're talking about today. And Louise is going to break it down for you so that you can start to really look at 
Do I have all of these elements? And am I really focusing on the problem that is at hand that my clients need help with? So let's dive in and enjoy this week's episode. Louise, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Now, I have followed you for quite a while. We've kind of chatted a few times because I know that your area of expertise, I kind of feel is something that most business owners wish they just had as part of their business, really, (laughs) (laughs) which is somebody who is really tech savvy and strategic when it comes to building funnels, creating customer journey ecosystems and working out how your business can really nurture relationships on a, in a scalable way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you, for those of my audience who don't know you, why don't you give us a little bit of a lowdown on who you are, what you do and how you kind of came to do what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, my my background is in marketing. I've done, you know, event management. I actually studied to do music events originally was kind of my plan, which was, um, you know, then I realized that that's not conducive to actually having a life. But um, <laughs> it's funny uh, if you're in your 20s, maybe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which I was at the time. So it sounded like a great plan. But um, look, I ended up in the advertising space and um, I was an account manager, digital strategy. Um, you know, I was actually community management and social media management back when uh, big brands were using profiles, believe it or not, to run social media campaigns because pages and groups and all those sorts of things didn't even exist at the time. So, um, you know, I, I, it's been interesting to see the development of those sorts of technologies since I've been in it. But uh, the reason I left the advertising space was really just because, you know, I was working on really big brands and I felt like there was lots of layers of politics and we can't do this and we can't do that. And you never really ever talk to the people that, um, I guess had a connection to the brand that really were, you know, the owners of the brand. And that was why I decided to kind of go out on my own. And, um, you know, I wanted to work with small businesses where they were passionate about what they did. And, you know, it's, it's a completely different space energetic, um, energetically to, you know, work with small business owners. So, you know, that's where I ended up. And, um, you know, I started off mostly with my tech skills, um, VA, OBM, those sorts of roles were where I started and kind of learned the tools of the trade, so to speak. But um, yeah, over time, I've, I've taken on more strategy work. And now it's been, goodness, probably about seven or so years, um, you know, doing what I do now. So I own a, an agency called Left Brain Online Marketing. And, um, and yeah, we specialize in helping people basically strategize their marketing and their paid traffic and all those sorts of good things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, like I said, I have followed a lot of your work. And I just think that a lot of business owners feel like this is quite hard. Mm. Like there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of elements to it. And so I was really excited to talk to you today about how I guess to simplify that message and how to explain the best way to go about creating that customer journey ecosystem for small businesses and how they can start to think about it maybe in a different way as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we've all heard 
um, you know, about marketing funnels and sales funnels and, you know, all these people that are making millions of dollars just running <laughs> Facebook ads to webinars and selling their 10K programs and then selling courses about how they did that. So, you know, we've all seen it and it's been around for a while now. And the shift that I'm really seeing and, you know, it's been interesting, especially with Facebook over the last kind of 12 to 18 months with all of the issues they've been having around data privacy and, and all those sorts of things, even they're saying it that they are changing the way that they do business. So it's, they're trying to get back to the customer experience. So it's no longer, even in Facebook ads, it's no longer about results necessarily. It's about uh, Facebook is more interested in the experience of the users on Facebook than the results that the advertisers are getting. Now, obviously that's still important to them because that's how they make their money, but there's definitely a shift happening now, um, you know, away from these kind of singular sales funnels where we just funnel people through and everyone's meant to do the same thing. And it's actually easier to take a step back and go, well, you know, what does the journey look like? Like it's not, we don't all do things the same way. We don't all have the same motivations for doing things. We're not all at the same stage, even though, you know, your product might be relevant to all these people. Their objections are different. Their situation's different. The experiences they've had in the past are different. And really it's just about, you know, getting back to the basics in terms of knowing what our customers want and being able to give it to them in a, in a the, the time that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, I, I developed the customer journey ecosystem framework really as an extension to the general term of the customer journey as a, you know, as a marketing concept, because I feel like there's certain things that people do that tell us that they're ready for the next stage. So if they opt in, we know that they're ready to hear more about who we are. Whereas when they haven't opted in, it's more about what they want, what they're struggling with. So the communication changes when they kind of go through these key milestones. And these are really, you know, fairly easy to identify for most businesses. And, and that's really just what we kind of focus on. Fantastic. And we're going to run through that today, which I'm excited about. Um, because I do, I talk about brand experience all the time. And I think that and I always say that it's really important to craft it and not just leave it to chance so that, you know, you kind of run your business and whatever kind of happens, happens. But it's really about identifying who your customers are, what they need, what's important to them, and then how you deliver what you do um, in a way that, you know, makes them loyal and keeps them That's coming it. back and keeps them talking about you and those sorts of things. So it was really interesting. I was at a breakfast a little while ago um, and I think it was like customer experience at Deloitte. One of the guys, one of the partners was speaking and he was saying, which I found really interesting. He said, we've been through the industrial age. We've, we've been through the machine age where we've kind of gone into, you know, um, automations and things like that. And now we're moving into the relationship age. Absolutely. Um, and I, I was literally, my ears pricked up and, and it, he was talking about, the customer experience, the journey and going from the one to many, which is still obviously what you want for scalability, but going back to the one-to-one -one relationship and going back to the connection and the conversation um, and which I was just like, oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. So, um, so there's, I there's definitely that shift happening, you know, across the board from small businesses to big businesses. I think people are starting to feel the shift. And, and like you said, the challenge is how you keep that intimacy as you scale, um, you know, and that's always going to be a challenge. But I think that we've, we've come to over rely on 
on machine learning and and automation to do the jobs that that we probably should have more of a a human connection element to. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, there are a couple of people that I can just think of. I don't know if you can think of some, but where I feel, even though I've maybe never spoken to them one-on-one and they're quite big in the entrepreneurial space, I actually feel quite connected to them. I feel like they're not kind of, you know, in the machine Mm. and people like Denise Duffield Thomas or Amy Porterfield, or more recently I've discovered Rachel Hollis. There's just something about them that makes you feel connected to them as well, even though they are running multi-million dollar global like empires. Um, And I, that's what attracts me to them. And that's what I love. So let's dive into the customer journey ecosystem and let's talk about how, my listeners can start to really get their head around this so that they can start to, you know, really nurture their audience, but also scale that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll give everybody, um, you know, a, a PDF of this, of this diagram anyway, but basically, you know, for everyone listening, I want you to imagine a piece of paper with, um, you know, three sections in it. And the way that it basically works is, is that you can identify those key milestones that, that allow you to change the conversation or allow you to start talking about things in a different way based on the milestones that they go through. So the, when they first kind of start with you, we're talking, we're in the attraction phase. Okay. So this is all about awareness. This is all about them. It's all about being intellectually interesting to them. Okay. It's all about their problems, what they want. They don't really care at this point who you are. They're still trying to, to find the, the answer to their problems. And the biggest challenge that people have at this point, really, for, for most of us, it's overcoming noise, okay? There's a, a lot of people that either do what we do or offer different solutions to the problems that we're trying to solve. And, you know, the online marketing space as a, I guess, as an information course space is a really good example of an extremely saturated niche. But there's a few people who always come to mind when you're thinking about something um, you know, specific in that niche. There's PayPal that you associate with different things and they've done a really good job of overcoming the noise. And that's why they can become prominent in this kind of sea of information. So really the, the focus in this initial phase and the attraction phase, which is everything that happens before they become a lead and they commit to wanting to know more information specifically about you is it's really just about connecting and being intellectually interesting and providing information and resources that are perfect for them, that they can go, wow, like this is exactly what I was looking for. I can't believe they're giving this away for free or that this is so detailed or it's exactly what I want or whatever it is that's important to them at the time. So I think a lot of us get lost in this phase where it's like, all right, we're going to, if you think about it as a, just a linear sales funnel, um, you know, we're going to try and get as, we're going to run ads to cold traffic and we're just going to get as many people onto our webinar as possible. And we're, we, we don't stop to think, well, why would they want to sit on a webinar for an hour and a half with someone that they've got no idea who you are? Of course, they're not going to turn up live. They might listen to the replay just to see if you actually know what you're talking about. But, you know, you're not really building that connection if you're sending out, you know, just two reminder emails and then that's it. And, you know, they, then they only hear sales emails from you. So, 
this phase is really just about that kind of, yeah, cementing you as someone that they can trust so that they want to opt in. And so just a question around that, because I get this question sometimes, is that when people are starting out in business and they've got all of these ideas about what the problems are that their customers experience yep. and it's like narrowing down mm. to, you know, I find like I've got a lot of clients that there's a lot of stuff. they've got a million things that they can choose from so when you're working with a client is there a way that you hone in on maybe the the one thing that could be most powerful in this attraction phase I think that you know when I do this when I when I come on with a client say if we're doing Facebook ads or something the first thing that we always do is try and listen to what our potential clients are saying and even our clients if you've already got clients speak to them about you know when you were starting to think about doing XYZ what was it what language were you using what was it that you thought that you needed to to find the information to Um, because it's all good and well for us to go oh well you know I am a business coach and all they want to do is you know, to, to get their first million dollars. Well, yes, that might be one of their goals, but they might be a mum who's really worried about how to get to that goal whilst not having their kid in childcare full time and never see, speaking to their family on weekends. And, you know, yes, they're the goals, but there's often these underlying, I guess, objections or beliefs um, that we kind of go through that stop people believing really that it's even true. And that's why a lot of these kind of big messages around million dollar businesses or, you know, I see it a lot being in the agency space, the $10 million in in a year agency working two hours a week or something like that. They are, they are fantastic in terms of like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But very few people actually believe that it can happen. Even if you've seen it happen, it doesn't really matter. You've got to work with the beliefs and objections of the people that you're talking to. So it's actually better to take a step back and look at what people are talking about in forums and Facebook groups. Look at the language that they're using and the, the sort of things that they're saying. Um, and a really good example of this, if you were, say, a social media expert and you think, oh, well, people just can't, don't have time to come to you know, create all the content themselves. So I'm going to create it for them. Yes, you can give them an opt-in that says, you know, how to create six months worth of content in three hours or something like that. But the other issue that they're always going to have is the quality of that content. So there's no point in creating six months worth of content if they're not going to get any likes, comments, shares. It's not going to bring any more traffic to their website. And that often is, you know, a concern. And I think that our audiences are getting smarter and they've seen a lot of these kind of bigger messages now, you know, and so we kind of have to, to work with the nuances, I guess, and bring something new to the space. Um, yeah. So, you know, kind of to, to wrap all that up in one action, I, I guess, you know, you want to learn, listen, listen to what your potential clients are saying, listen to what they want and be able to, to give it to them. Now, the one thing that we want to avoid is giving them something that's going to take a month to get through, you know, like a a hundred page ebook or a 40 day challenge, those things we want to avoid because um, people drop off and it doesn't really have the effect that we want. Really, you know, in this stage, what we're just trying to do is just get them in so that we can show them they're the expert and we don't need to tell them everything up front. Just focus on one thing that's really important to them. Awesome. Okay, great. So we've got the attraction. We've looked at what the lead is going to be. Just a question on that. 
are you seeing anything working better than other things at the moment? I feel like ebooks are kind of two years ago now. Um, I know that webinars are still good, but you know, they were probably quite big a year ago mm -hmm. or so. And, and so obviously video I know is key, but what are you seeing that's converting well from a lead magnet perspective? Yeah. And, uh, and obviously there's always going to be nuances in terms of your market. I'm finding that, you know, webinars work really well, but there's two really big downsides to webinars at the moment. One, the cost to get a webinar lead generally is higher than other types of, of opt-ins. So, you know, we've seen cases where um, webinar leads are double the cost of other sorts of opt-ins that we're running to very similar audiences. The other issue that you've got is that attendance rates are decreasing on webinars. So not only are you paying more for that sort of lead, but there may be only you know, say 30% or something. Yeah, or actually, 20 or 30% yeah, is the average it. show up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you really have to take that into account when you pick your opt-in because if you're only getting 30% of those people actually turning up, then, you know, that's, a, that's not really a great, you know, bang for your buck unless you're able to either get your attendances really high or you've got something that converts really high on the actual webinar. And there's definitely strategies around paid traffic and reminders and, you know, messenger bots and things like that to try and increase your attendance rates. But it's still, you know, it still is a little bit, um, a little bit tricky. So I would say that webinars definitely convert the highest because you're on live, but the amount of people on live, you know, really does, really does, um, vary quite a lot. So, you know, I'm seeing challenges working really well at the moment, especially for those that have groups that are, they're finding it really hard to keep the engagement high, or they're getting a lot of new people into the group all the time, but they're having a, a lot of trouble converting a big group. Um, we're finding that challenges are working really well at the moment. So they're the two that are kind of our, our goes tos, um, especially for an evergreen sort of thing, which the, the customer journey ecosystem is best used for because that way you can continue to scale and optimize as you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really, it really does depend and you might find that other things work really well. I mean, PDFs and those sorts of things are always going to convert quite well, but it's just what you do with them that the, the the, the distance between there and sale is, is a lot, a lot bigger than if you can actually get them on a webinar. Um, yeah, for sure. And so uh, we did talk about running challenges to grow your business with Angela Henderson in episode 48. So I'll link to that as well. If yeah. you want to take a look at how you can check out challenges. I have been using webinars more recently to grow my list. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing is almost going back to the, you know, first thing we were talking about, that we're going into the relationship age is that I had so many people who came back to me after the webinar and said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you were actually on it. And that you like, as in live, isn't it bad that it's actually gotten to that stage where people are surprised. When yes. You live well, I was, I was surprised that that was the response. Cause I'm like, I, yeah. Anyway, so that was really good. So I think that if you are going to do a webinar, I do think that there's an opportunity for evergreen, obviously, yeah. when you are wanting to scale. But I think until you get to the point, and Amy Porterfield talks about this, until you get to a point where your webinar is converting really well, you would never put it into evergreen. Like you would be 
you know, honing it and crafting it and getting it better alive. And then when you see conversions increasing, then you would take that webinar that's converting well that you did live and turn that into Evergreen because you know that you've probably got the structure of it right as well. But I just kind of feel I'm not an expert at webinars and, uh, like I said, I'm wanting to use it to grow my list at the moment. But I do think that that getting on live, speaking to your customers, listening to their problems, really just, you know, once again, deepens the relationship and you being able to answer their questions builds that trust with them as well. So I think you've just got to look at what what are you doing it for and what is the outcome that you want and the experience you want to give to. Yeah. And the other great thing about webinars is, is that you're getting feedback in real time. So, you know, coming back to the, what do they really want? Well, just run a webinar and see what questions come up and then go from there. And then you can create another webinar and get better and better. But I completely agree. If a webinar doesn't convert live, it's not converting evergreen. So if it's not working live, don't think, oh, I just can't be bothered doing this. I'm just going to turn it evergreen. And no, you have to, you have to work at it. And even if we're setting up evergreen um, you know, funnels for clients, we always recommend to them that they run it live the first time because the energy of a live webinar is so different from a recorded and it doesn't apply to everybody. Some people prefer the option to be able to go back and edit out and clean up a webinar recording, but there's something just more genuine even about promoting a webinar as a recording of my recent webinar. Or like you said, you know, you don't have to pretend it's always live if it's not. Um, people, people are savvy. They're not stupid. And you know, they don't want to be tricked. That's one of the big things. And, um, you know, the other interesting thing uh, about webinars is, is that I was at a, a Molly training, a Molly Pittman training from Digital Marketer recently. And um, she said that really interestingly, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, keep the recordings to themselves. I'm not giving out the recording if they weren't on. And, you know, you can only get the recording if you actually attend live and all these sorts of things. And her kind of opinion of it was, is, why are you limiting the number of people who hear your offer? You know, like what, what, what benefit does that have because they didn't sign up live or they're not part of some sort of exclusive club. So, you know, when really interestingly on one of her last launches for her course, she said that what she did was, is that she actually ran ads straight to the webinar replay with no opt-in to any warm traffic. So list, website visitors, people engaging on her page, anyone who was a warm audience, um, they got ads straight to the replay, no opt-in needed. And she said, because I just wanted as many people to see the offer as possible. Um, and so that is another option too, you know, that it, not everything has to be um, gated by an opt-in or, you know, having to make them jump through loopholes. People just want the information. Um, and so, yeah, really interesting, you know, like have a benefit for people turning up live, but don't restrict access to the information to other people. Some people just can't turn up live. I mean, you, you and I know, you know, being in Australia, how many times the US people will have something that's at like one o'clock in the yeah. morning and it doesn't matter how much you really want to go to it you just, it's really difficult to make that work. And, you know, I've done it a few times, but then the, the worst case scenario is you get up at one o'clock in the morning to listen to a webinar that's a two hour sales pitch. So people have become uh, cagey with their time and their information. And so you need to earn that trust. And webinars are actually really good for the, the second stage of the ecosystem, which when we get to it, I can chat a little bit more about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think the other thing that I wanted to say with that 
around the sales pitch is the other comment that I got from people on my webinars was you give so much valuable and implementable information that that's like it, it's unbelievable. And I just think I have sat on webinars where they spend the first half an hour telling you about themselves and who they are. Yep. And then the second half of the webinar pitching what it is that they have and there might be 10 minutes in there where they're giving you and I am just like I don't understand how like how this is working or what you're doing because there is zero value I've been on this webinar for 20 minutes already and you've not shared one thing of value with me all I've seen is pictures of your kids and your cat yeah and I and I am like I've got a slide that's got my family and stuff but it is like a one minute <laughs> this it's is just who positioning, I am. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, like I don't need to tell you about myself for thirty minutes. Anyway, so I just think if you are going to do a webinar, just make sure that you're giving value, and make sure that whilst you are endearing yourself to your audience, you are showing up live, you are being genuine, and you know, connecting with them. You've got to like give the goods as well. You oh, can't absolutely. Just- You can't just sell and talk about yourself. I've seen it too many times recently and it's kind of, I'm dumbfounded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, the best webinars I've seen are like either the structure where you've got, right, we're going to go through these three key things yes. and then and then every key thing has a case study at the end of how it was applied. And you don't have to give them stuff, like you don't have to give them a 20-page workbook where they go away because what you, what you want to avoid is over-delivering because what that does is, one, it sends them into overwhelm. They don't do it. And if they don't do the free stuff, they're not going to do the paid stuff. But the other thing is as well is, is that if you give them too much and they do go away and do it, say they're a keen bean and they go away and they do it, it takes too long for them to do it. And then they've lost that momentum of, wow, she gave so much good stuff. I want more of this. So you have to find that balance where really what you're doing is you're giving them enough for them to be able to go, I can go away and do this. And I can see that it's going to give me the transformation or, or, get towards that transformation, not solving all their problems, but perhaps solving a problem or moving towards it. But in a way where it leaves them going, I want more, like not, I didn't get anything. I actually want to get something by buying this program, but I can just see from this little snippet how valuable doing this is going to be. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Let's go into stage two. Excellent. So, so stage two is, I guess, where a lot of people start to get tripped up a little bit. It's where they've become a lead. So generally, we kind of classify the middle stage is when they've opted in and they're on your list. And really the big goal here, this is the acquisition stage. So the big goal here really is to go from lead to sale, which is what a lot of people struggle with that, okay, well, I've got all these people on my list, but I can't really seem to get any of them to buy. Um, So obviously a big part of this section is email marketing and other sorts of things like um, status building Facebook ads and perhaps some messenger bots and, you know, giving lots of value. Um, But one of the really big challenges in this stage in particular, is overcoming beliefs and objections. So they've, they've opted in, but everyone's got reservations about buying. Everybody has certain beliefs that they've got in their own mind that stop them buying. Now, that could be as very simple as, I don't have the money. Well, 
you might not have the money right now, but we can put you on a payment plan. And, you know, if you get the, the momentum up and running, um, you know, you've got enough money right now to pay for the first three months. Let's get you up and running. This is how the program works. Well, so you're not giving, you know, guarantees. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's ways to overcome these objections. And a lot of the times, you know, you'll have seen it too. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will as well, is that for the right thing, you can always find the money. So mon- the money objection is often not as big a hurdle as people think it is. Money, money objections are, are normally a question of value, not actual cash in their bank accounts. So it's objections like that where you go, okay, well, how do I overcome this? You know, like maybe a, a couple of case studies and you want to do this um, you don't want to be sleazy or, you know, promise the world that they're going to make their $10 million in three months, but you could provide case studies of how people got their businesses up and running in six weeks or how little tweaks in their businesses on like released cash that they didn't, that, you know, they didn't know they had, or, you know, those sorts of things. Like how can you show them that money isn't really an, an, an issue for not buying your program or your coaching or whatever it may be that you're selling. And other objections and beliefs that come up a lot of the time have to do with things that they've bought in the past. I've had a business coach before and it was crap. I joined a mastermind before and I was just left talking to myself in the group. No one else would respond to my questions. Or I did a course like this once and oh, I've probably still got it somewhere. I don't think I even logged in. These sort of things you need to be able to overcome as well because if you can't, if you don't start to tackle these things, people are just going to sit on your list forever. So a lot of it is is content-based. It's webinars are perfect for overcoming really specific objections in this part as well. So you might run a webinar that's just for people on your list. I mean, you can obviously run cold traffic to it if you want, but that is predominantly just for your list to start to overcome some of the objections of people who already know who you are, but haven't bought for one reason or another. Okay. And so how do you find out what the objections are? A lot of the times people are very quick to tell you, especially when they're on sales calls. Um, you know, you'll, you, you get the spectrum. You get the people who will tell you their life stories and they are fantastic um, for really understanding who your client is, whether they're a good person or, or a bad person for your program is it either way, the more information they share, the better about creating profiles. And sometimes you can have a, an anti-avatar, you know, the, the, the red flag category of if people start seeing these things, they're not ready for my program. And, and, and they're just as important to call out. If one of your big objections is, is that, um, you know, you know, I provide a course on healthy eating. If one of your biggest objections is, is that it's your husband that does the cooking and he doesn't like to eat healthy, that's probably a healthy eating program isn't right for you because you don't have the control over what is being cooked for dinners to, you know what I mean? Like there's some objections you just can't overcome. And sometimes you, you can just as easily as call them out in the content. If this is you, then the program's not right. And people respect you just as much as anything. But Um, I also think, just on that as well because I for certain programs do do the filter yep where I'll have the one-on-one conversation and say you need to have done x y and z and be here before yep. you can do this program because then you don't want them to fail and you don't want to fail and yep. if somebody's not where they need to be or if this program's not right for them then it's a win-win yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's important. When I first started out, um, there was a a coach in the US who basically mentored agencies and, and I wanted to have a call with him. And he emailed back and went, I don't want to talk to you one-on-one until you're earning $30,000 a month. So come back to me when you're earning $30,000 a month. And I was like, screw you. How rude. (laughs) But I then bought his program because he's like, well, my program can get you to the $30,000 a month. So I- Very clever. Very clever. Very clever. And, um, and then I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to show you that I can get to this. Like, you know what I mean? Like it became the motivation and- and um, there's there's nicer ways to say that, but yeah. his intention was right that you're not you need to get away and from you know I I mentor a lot of marketing freelancers as well in this space and and I always say to them you need to get away from just accepting anyone because they're willing to give you their credit card because they become um, a, a drain on your time um, often they are not right for the program. They take up more of your time than anybody else and they don't get the results. They are always the loudest when they're not getting the results and they tend to bring down the energy of the whole group. Um, and so it's really important. And, um, but yeah, coming back to your, to your initial question about how to, to kind of figure out what it is that you need to say, a lot of it is going to come from calls. And mm. even if you're not doing calls to sell, say you're selling a course and it doesn't normally require a call, then offer a call to some people who've bought the program or that you feel would be right for the program and say, look, I'm not going to sell you the program. What I want to understand is what would make this program a no-brainer for you. And when I started with my, my when I started mentoring um, marketing freelancers, that's exactly what I did. I posted in a few groups and went, look, guys, this is what I'm planning on doing. I just want to have a chat to some people and get a really good understanding. And the really interesting thing is, is that I thought their biggest problem was one thing, and it turned out that their biggest problem was a whole different side that I guess I kind of knew was there, but I didn't really think was the reason that they would buy something like my program because of. Um, and it completely changed how I, the angle that I took um, in, in terms of promoting it moving forward. So it's, it's an incredibly important and incredible um, insight um, and you know, if you don't have time to do it yourself and you've got a VA or you've got other team members who you're going to allow to do it, which isn't ideal, but you know, everybody's circumstances are different. Just make sure regardless of who does the calls that they're recorded so that you can listen back to them. Yes. And once again, I have talked about this a million times, but I interviewed 50 women one-on-one over a period of like four months mm. in the lead up, like I was building out play big brand bold, my course. But I just needed to really listen to what the issues were. But there was also a desire to understand my client base better generally. Yeah. And I just don't think anything can replace those one-on-one conversations because the questions that you will ask as a follow-up to probe further. That's right. Like is different to what a VA might ask because you're in it and you do it. And so I kind of feel like I had 10 questions that I asked, but it was the deeper dive into those questions when they gave me an answer that gave me like the gold. Yeah. And there's no shortcut around it really. There really isn't. And, you know, if you're sitting there as a new business owner, never had a client and you feel like you don't have any connections to do these sorts of calls, just reach out to somebody who's got the same target market that offers something different and go and look, 
this is what I'm looking for. Like, can you help me out? I just need a referral to three people just to chat to them. And often those three people, once you get them on the call, they're like, oh yeah, you should speak to X and X. I'll introduce you, you know, and you just need a few to get started and just do what you can, you know? Um, But it is, it is really important. And like you said, like you can research forums and you can look in Facebook groups at what questions people are asking and that can get you started, but nothing replaces just getting on a call with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So that's the acquisition. Yeah, yeah. So the the third stage is probably the most underutilized from a funnel framework perspective. So people talk about funnels all the time. The funnel stops when someone buys. Um, And it's always, I guess, really bugged me that like, okay, well, what comes next, you know? So the, the final stage of the ecosystem is what I like to call ascension. And basically what that is, is that you, they have bought from you once before. And really what happens now is you either want them to buy again or recurring payments or refer, refer other people to you. But this is really where I like to say it, you're their secret weapon. So, you know, when in the attraction stage when they've not even opted in yet, the real big goal is just intellectually interesting. It's all about them and what they want to learn. In the acquisition stage, really that conversion point happens to sale when you when they go, wow, this is the missing piece. This is why the other courses I've bought haven't worked. This is why the other coaches haven't worked. Like what's that missing piece? And often that's a framework or a strategy or a way that you approach it. But it's, it's all about that missing piece. Like, oh my God, I finally found it. This is what was missing. And then when they've bought, it's all like, yeah, she's my secret weapon. Like, you know, like this is how I got my results. And, you know, so that the conversation really changes. And really the reason that I feel like this is always missing from all those funnel trainings is, is because this is where all the money's made in business. So, if you can afford, um, you know, and this isn't right for everybody, especially if you're, you're selling one-off products or services, but really, if you can afford to say you're selling a 297 course, if you could afford to spend $297 to acquire that $297, so you break even on the first sale, imagine how many more customers and clients you could get than your competitors. Your competitors are so focused on getting $2 leads, on getting you know, sales for 10 bucks so that they can make their profit margin. And that, that is what really bugs me about a lot of funnel trainings is that it's all about profit margins. It's all about getting the most sales for the least amount of spend. But then you're, you're fighting with everybody else who's trying to keep their costs down and all those sorts of things. Whereas if you can dominate the newsfeed and dominate Facebook ads and Google ads because you're spending more and you're everywhere, then you're always going to win out because you're omnipresent. So Really, if, if you can afford to get into it and get into the mindset that you can afford to, you know, almost break even on that first sale, if you've got recurring payments or you can sell additional products to them, then you're going to get more customers in, in that second section. And this third section just is where the money's made. You know, can I get them on a recurring payment? How many people can they refer to me? Can I get them in my higher end mastermind? All those sorts of questions come up um, and it really changes the conversation. And even if you can't afford to spend to break even on the front, just having that in mind that 
this isn't this isn't a one for one. This isn't if I spend ten dollars in ads, I need to get a hundred dollars back every single time on that first sale. It sort sort of changes the mindset of what the potential is on the back end. And really I think it's the most underutilized part of many businesses is being able to continue to monetize people who've already bought from you. Awesome. So there's a couple of questions I've got. <laughs> so the first one is, which people always ask me, is marketing budget. Yep. What should you be spending when it comes to your marketing budget? And is there either an equation or a feel that you should have for, you know, on a quarterly basis, on a monthly basis? I've got my own, you know, I guess philosophy around how I spend my marketing dollars. But is there any kind of advice that you give people around what to spend? Without knowing the individual businesses, sure. um, I normally kind of work with a, you know, say like a 20% rule. So 20% of revenue is kind of where we start and then we'll go from there. Some businesses need more, some businesses need less. And it also depends whether are you just trying to keep the engine going or are you trying to aggressively scale? Um, so those kind of goals do come into it as well. But generally, you know, 20% is a good rule to start with. It allows for enough in the business for all the other expenses. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really is as well like a, a game of numbers. Like I've got some clients who are in niches that we can get 30 and 40 cent leads. Now, to tell a business coach that, they're like, oh my God, like I am spending $7, $10 for a lead. And it's like, well, you're in a very different niche, very different competition levels, um, very different targeting. So businesses do vary a lot. Um, but generally speaking, you know, like that, the, that business coach spending seven or $10 for a lead generally makes m more money back than the person perhaps sell selling the B2C course at $97, but is getting those 30 or 40 cent leads. So it all kind of comes back around in a circle. But certainly for those of you that are in the business niches, you are going to have to allow for a bigger budget upfront in order to do any sort of significant testing. Yeah. And that was my second question was around testing and knowing, you know, like how much to spend on things. And like if, if I'm spending $7 or I'm spending or I'm getting, you know, a lead for $200, like how do I know when, like what's working and what's not and what I should be focusing on and spending more money on as well? So yeah. one of the first questions I always ask my clients when I come on board to do their Facebook ads is how much money have you got to waste? Because there's always going to be this, and, and, and it's said in the most endearing way, but I guess yeah. there's always going to be an element of trial and error. And yeah. always, a lot of the clients I work with have already got tested and tried funnels. So we can kind of have some sort of guarantee on conversion and spend. But for those that are just kind of starting out, you need to go, okay, well, can I, can I afford to spend this thousand dollars and see absolutely no return? If the answer is no, don't spend it. Find another way, partner with another business coach, um, go to networking events, do something else. Because the, the issue when you hold on to that money and try and be really strategic with it and go, oh my God, my ads are spending too much, turn them off, turn them off, is you're always going to turn your ads off and you're never going to learn anything. So you do need a testing budget that you are happy to spend and see no return on. Now, most of the time they get the return or we kind of, we get the momentum and we can move forward. There's going to be times where nothing seems to be working, we can't figure out why it's not converting, and we sort of have to dig a little bit deeper. But 
Um, I, I generally say as well that you need a hundred people to go through. So if you want to see if something is going to convert to a sale, you need to have at least a hundred opt-ins in order to see whether anyone's going to buy. So can you afford those 100 opt-ins is kind of a a general rule. And obviously that again does depend, but um, yeah, if you can't afford to put say a hundred people through it, um, you might need to look at something else. Now, say you've only got uh, enough money to get say 50 leads. Well, look, you can still run it, but if you don't get a sale from that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you wouldn't had you left it on for those extra 10 leads. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of the, that kind of tick over number. I find a hundred is, is kind of a sweet spot. If you can't convert it 1%, then it's not going to work at all. Okay. All right. And so the other thing that I wanted to ask was around referrals. Mm. Is there a way to systemize, I guess, getting referrals in this funnel? or in this ecosystem? Have you done anything that I guess encourages or emails uh, existing clients or I don't know, incentivizes, anything like that? It's easier to do when something comes to a definitive end. So at the end of a course or the end of a coaching program, you can, you know, just in the same way that you onboard people, you should do the same on the out as well. So Um, make sure that they're happy, that they've got everything that they need, ask for that referral. You know, my business is is very heavily, not, I wouldn't say reliant on referrals, but um, it's not very often that I have to do a big promotional push to get new clients. A lot of the times, you know, my clients just come in, you know, from, from referrals or from recommendations. There's kind of two sides to that. The first one is, you need to know what you do really well because if you're just a, a general business coach, if when people are in Facebook groups asking, oh, who works with e-com businesses or look, I'm really struggling with this, it's very hard for people to recommend you because you're not the first person that comes to mind, essentially. There's, you know, there's other people who specialize in those things that come to mind. The other thing though as well is so so yeah, so if you if you are specialized in something, if you know what you do and you can find a really easy way to say that, it's going to make it easier for other people to do that for you as well and to advocate for you. So that's really the first thing. The other thing is as well though, is that it's just about telling your clients. Um, you know, you could say to them, um, you know, I've, we've just finished a really successful launch. I've got a spot coming up before I go out and I offer it. I just thought I would check if anyone else in here needs additional work or if anyone in here knows of another business that could really help because they are much more likely to convert than going out and doing a webinar to get more clients. So the more that you can utilize your network, the better. And sometimes we just need to ask for it. And it's the same with testimonials. You know, a lot of the times people are happy to give them, but we just never ask for them. Yeah. That's part of my, uh, like, yeah, offboarding basically. When somebody finishes up, then I think it's like a few days later, my system will automatically send out a questionnaire that I've tailored, obviously, yeah. but answering questions or, or getting uh, feedback on the process and the program. But then it's also got, if you'd like to write a testimonial, can you please leave it here? And 
whatever else. But yeah, I think. Yeah. And a lot of the times too, we have to remind people of how far they've come or remind them of the transformation because especially in longer programs, people forget where they were when they came in a lot of the times. And so they're really happy with what you're doing, but they don't realize just how much has changed since they started. So sometimes doing even like, you know, if you're, if you're running a 12 week program at the six week program, Mark going, all right, we're going to do a check-in where were you when you started? Where are you now? What is the top three things that you've learned? Sometimes that just helps keep it top of mind that you're, you are actually helping them achieve their goals as well. I love that. I think that I'm going to implement that for sure. Because I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I know that my clients have great outcomes, but I don't think I've done that, you know, at the beginning, let's write down how you're feeling and where you're at and why you're doing this and that sort of thing. And then have that really powerful comparison at the end. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously easier for people like myself who run Facebook ads where the the numbers speak for themselves over, over the weeks. Um, So it's really important for those less tangible areas, business coaching, and even courses and programs to make sure that you're allowing those feedback points throughout the program as well. Because sometimes you'll, you won't pick up on things until the end and you're like, oh, we could have addressed that like so much earlier if I'd just known that this was really important to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's like, once again, as far as processes go, at the beginning of say coaching, then I've got the questionnaire around what's the number one thing you want to get out of this? What's the most important issue for you right now? So that we can go back and look at that at the end as well. So I think, yeah, setting up those systems as well in your business, I think is really important. Yeah. And one of the biggest challenges at this point of the ecosystem that I find really is lack of action. So if you can't take that, if you can't get them to take action, they're not going to buy again. They're not going to refer they're not going to, you know, shout from the rooftops about the results that they've gotten because they haven't taken the action themselves that's needed. And this is particularly prominent in online courses. courses yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, sometimes that's really hard. Like it's kind of like you can lead a horse to water. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you can't always make them drink. So sometimes it's not, you know, as direct as going, oh, I need a testimonial or I want you to refer me. Sometimes it's it's going sideways and going, how do I push this person through the program so that they finish and they get the results that I know that they can yes. get? So that is, that's another really big task that we look on at this stage is like, how do we, how do we change the experience, um, especially in evergreen e-courses so that they are actually taking action? Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And so is there anything else around Ascension? Um, no, I think, I think that's, that's, pre- that's pretty much it. It's just about monetizing the customers that you've already got, become their secret weapon, and yeah, lack of action is the big challenge. Fantastic. Well, Louise, that was so good. I think that, like I said, a lot of people struggle with how to build this and create this. So we do have the visuals that you provided and they will be in the show notes for people just to access. Yep. No, you don't need to sign up for them. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just give those to you. So make sure that you head over to the show notes and check that out. But, Louise, for those who are just listening at the moment, on a walk or whatever, where can they find you online? We'll obviously have all the links in the show notes too, but do you want to just share that too? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website is leftbrainonlinemarketing.com. Um, and yeah, you can find all my information there. I'm on Facebook. You can find me um, at both Left Brain Online Marketing and Louise Griffiths. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Now, as far as the work that you do with people, who do you normally work with? What kind of clients? So I predominantly work with um, coaches, uh, online educators, so people who run masterminds or have e-courses um, or kind of those bigger group programs um, and also some service-based businesses as well. So that's predominantly the spaces that I work in. And what are the key things that you do for them? So we do all of the, the marketing strategy. I, I like to think of it as I kind of come in and be the marketing department, the marketing manager, so to speak. So um, we'll work with any, um, any team that you've already got that might be doing implementation for you. We sort of, I guess, link that bridge so that we can do the strategy. We can make sure everything is running smoothly. We'll look after the management. We can do any technical builds that you might not have those skills on your team already. Um, and then we also run the paid traffic as well. So predominantly Facebook ads, but we're now also doing some Google ads and YouTube as well. Fantastic. So that is uh, marketing strategy, funnels, setting up the funnels for people and then doing, for example, any paid advertising campaigns as well. Yeah, correct. And for those really? that come in at my, you know, my higher end program, um, higher end packages, um, you know, we're having weekly meetings with them and we're going through the stats of all of their marketing and things as well. So, um, you know, definitely for those people who, who want that sort of plug and play marketing strategy and ongoing support. Oh, wouldn't we all love that? <laughs> <laughs> I want that sometimes because I'm different. <laughs> fantastic well Louise thank you so much for today it's been really useful and I know that uh, my listeners are definitely going to get a lot out of it so I really appreciate it no thanks again for having me on I love talking about this stuff it's uh it gets me all passionate I can go away now and write more content <laughs> awesome awesome <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I do think that funnels is something that I don't know, but a lot of people seem to struggle with. So I think if you can work through how you're bringing people in, how you're nurturing them, building the relationship, and then looking at how you can continue to serve the clients that you've got is obviously smart business, basically. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you want any of Louise's details, I'm really looking forward to working with her soon. Uh, then you can head to the show notes and all of her links and details will be there. But once again, thanks so much for listening and being here. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to share it. You can share it on Insta and tag me at Suze Chadwick, share it with your community, or as always, I'd love you to leave a review on iTunes and I would so appreciate it. As I said, follow me everywhere on any platform at Suze Chadwick, but I do love Insta stories, as you know, and I am hanging out in Insta Live a little bit more these days. Crazy but true. But until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold. Hold up. 